But who do you say that I am? It's not I didn't say that. Jesus said that. So the words of Jesus. But who do you say that I am? I think these are some of the most important words Jesus ever spoke. He asked this question. He asked this question of his disciples in the Bible. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 15. We're going to read it together. I've got it on the screen here. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples, Who do the people say that the Son of Man is? Talking of himself. And they said, Well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He asked that question that cuts right to the heart of belief. Now the context of this is actually fairly important. I think helps us to have a little bit better understanding of what's going on here. This place called Caesarea Philippi. I have the picture on the screen. This is kind of how it looks today. Caesarea Philippi is a city, part of a city. It's a little region kind of at the north end of Israel. And it was a place that had a, a lot of importance. Tremendous importance to the secular pagan world that was revolving around the nation of Israel and around the Roman Empire. In that place, as you can see, there's a big cave. And from this cave, a spring flowed out. A spring of water flowed out and was one of the sources of the Jordan River. Now, in the pagan culture, there was this belief. They had developed this belief that, hey, this was one of those entryways into the underworld. So they said, hey, this is like the gates of hell right here. And so imagine, what is Jesus doing at the gates of hell? And here he was. And this was a place where, uh, through those Greek gods, they said, oh, you know what, that god, you know, Pan, the god, you know, with the little flute and the you know, little feet thing, he's here, he like hangs out here, this is like his place, that's what they believed. But it took on all this, as the culture sort of mended and melded, there was all of these different gods, there was this whole variety of stuff, and so this whole sort of religious site had built up right here in Caesarea Philippi. And in fact, as you've kind of seen in that first picture, and there you see it again, they began to build these little shrines in the cliff face to all the different gods. And it was all this different stuff, and all these things in Roman and Greek and Egyptian and pagan, and all of these things sort of came together right in this place, in this rock face, in this place of Caesarea Philippi. And in many ways, it is not unlike our own modern culture, Right? We have such a mixture of so many belief systems in our culture. You could look at this and say, wow, that is a lot like the internet. <laughs> it's a lot like a conference of world religions, or you might know some folks who have Facebook pages that are a lot like this. You go, wow, they've pulled beliefs and statements from a lot of different places. Our culture claims to be intellectually superior, but we still have a worship of so many different things, don't we? A little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of New Age, a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of scientism, a little bit of leftism, a little bit of moralism, a little bit of materialism. And it all comes together. So picture with me, Jesus is walking towards, and we don't know, maybe he wasn't in exactly the spot, but I can imagine that he was. He's walking towards this place and walking towards this cliff, and of course it's not a ruin, it's all built up and beautiful, and there's these statues and all this stuff and all these cultures and all this religion comes together. And he turns to the disciples and he says, you know, who does the culture say I am? Here's all these gods 
And here I am. Who do you say I am? And I believe across the pages of history, Jesus asks you the same question. Who do you say that I am? It doesn't matter what the culture claims. It doesn't matter what all the scholars say. It doesn't matter what your parents told you. Jesus asked you. He asks you. Who do you say that I am? And this question, at its essence, is about belief. What do you believe? What do you believe about Jesus? Today on Easter, we remember the resurrection. And we remember his resurrection, not just because it was this thing that happened, maybe. We remember it because it was the hinge point of history. All of history hangs on that. It is the hinge of belief. Have you ever thought of it that way? What is the Christian faith without the resurrection of Jesus? What is it? This week it was very interesting. My family and I, we, we saw there was a documentary available on one of the streaming services, and I won't tell you which one it is or what the name of it was, not to incriminate it. But we watched it, and we thought, oh, this would be really neat. The guy who narrated it is an actor we kind of like, and so we all kind of watched it as a family. We thought, hey, this would be needed. And it was all about the week leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. And then it sort of left it as, well, that was neat. And it stopped when Jesus died, and that was the end of it. And I thought, well, that was pointless. There's hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of people who have been executed in an unjust way, and there's been politics and other things going on. What makes Jesus different than any of the rest of them? And there was this documentary, and it just ignored the thing that makes him different than every single other person. And that thing that makes him different is the resurrection. It is impossible, therefore, to separate the resurrection of Jesus from the Christian faith. To separate it from biblical values. And I'm going to show you that today in a few verses from the Bible. We'll start here and talk about faith first. Romans 10.9. I love this. This is the most concise summary of what it means to believe. How are you saved? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart... That God did what? He raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Again, that is a clear, clear summary of what it means to believe. But what's what's at the point there? The resurrection. You can't have belief in Christ without believing that God raised him from the dead. There's no resurrection. If there was no resurrection, there's nothing to have faith in. What would make Jesus any different than, say, George Washington? Both some nice guys. Jesus came back from the dead. Second thing the Bible says is about eternal life. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Jesus died and was raised to life again. And so the Bible is clearly instructing us that eternal life for us is dependent upon the fact that Jesus was the first one to come back to life. Jesus was resurrected. In other words, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, there's no eternal life for us. 
third thing we can look at from the scripture today is hope. In 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because why? God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You've heard that term, born again. I don't know, maybe it has bad connotations in our culture, but here it is, and Peter says we have been born again. And Jesus himself, in John chapter 3, says you will be born again. How are we born again? First, it's by God's mercy. But how is that mercy demonstrated to us? By God raising Jesus from the dead. This is our great hope, that we can be right with Jesus because of his resurrection. So if there's no resurrection, we have no hope. We're lost in our sins. The fourth thing is motivation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again the Apostle Paul, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this. Why? That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. But he didn't just die. He was raised. He was raised. In other words, where does the power, where does the will to do right things come from? For the Christian who believes it comes from the power of Jesus' resurrection. Without the resurrection, there is no selfless motivation to do the right thing. So these verses demonstrate for us that belief in the resurrection, again, it's the linchpin, it's the hinge point of the Bible, of the Christian faith. If you take the resurrection of Jesus out, if you say, I don't think it happened, I don't really believe in that, what are you left with? You're left with no motivation for goodness, no hope, no eternal life, no belief. You take the resurrection away and it's like this arch. Some of you know I'm an architect. I love drawings like this. But the thing is, if you take, if you go and you reach up to that and you pull that keystone out of that arch, that's the big stone at the top, it all comes crumbling down. And that's the Christian faith. If you take the resurrection away, it's like that keystone in the arch. Now you might say, and some have been known to say, oh, but the Bible has so many good teachings. There's so many good things to read in there. So many good stories. Or you might say, Jesus was a good teacher. I just don't know if he died and rose again. But that line of reasoning doesn't work because the Bible hinges upon whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we need to throw the whole thing out. Why would we want to give ourselves to something that is false at its core? Unless you think this is my idea. Paul, again, the apostle, addressed this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I love the way that the message paraphrases this passage. I'm going to read it to you. Paul's addressing this very issue. He says, now let me ask you something profound yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say there is no such thing as a resurrection? 
if there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors. And everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you verifying that God raised up Christ, sheer fabrications if there's no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering about in the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. And here's the good news. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. Did Jesus rise from the dead? The stakes are high. I'm going to give you a list of ramifications here. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then Jesus isn't God because he tied his claims of deity to the resurrection. And he's just a man. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the Bible is wrong. It's wrong on that point. And if it's wrong on that point, it's probably wrong on all of the points. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the Christian faith is based on a lie. And all of us who profess to be Christians are basing what we believe on a lie. All the goodness from Christians has come from bad or misguided motivations, not from the motivation that God loved us so much that he gave his son to die in our place. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, why are we sitting here? Why are we here today? Why are you here today? Why am I here today? If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no salvation to eternal life. None. On the other hand, if Jesus did rise from the dead, then Jesus is God. Jesus is God because nobody else can rise from the dead except for God himself. If Jesus did rise from the dead, I think we can trust that the Bible is true because if it's right on that point, it's right. The Christian faith flows from this. Hey, we have a faith and our faith flows from the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. All the goodness from Christians... Unless it was from bad motivations of their own selfishness. But generally, the goodness from Christians has flowed from God's love, not from selfishness. And we're here to worship. If Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that's why we're here. He is risen. That's good. And there is salvation to eternal life. And we're going to talk some more about that today. So this list... This side-by-side list shows us that we can't ignore the resurrection. We can't ignore it. But you might ask, what evidence do we have? Okay, you say he was raised from the dead, Greg. What evidence do we have? What makes it reasonable to believe in that? Now, I could give a whole message on that, and I've done a whole message on that. I'd be glad to share it with you again, and I'm going to share a few things today to maybe help you as you go, well, is it reasonable? I think it is reasonable. I've shared some of these things before. I think for those who've heard it before, it's a worthwhile review. So I'm going to mention a few different reasons today to believe. The first one is this. You go, Jesus was killed. Yep, Jesus was killed. For someone to rise from the dead, they have to die first. 
So there's been sort of this thing throughout history who says, oh, maybe Jesus just fainted, maybe he just swooned, maybe he didn't actually die. But the proof is there that Jesus was killed. First off, all four Gospels report this. You go, okay, well, that's in the Bible. And I get it, but it's four times. And what we talked about in the past couple weeks, the more eyewitnesses there are to an event, the more likely we can be sure that it happened. All four Gospels report that Jesus died. But it's not just the Gospels. In addition, there are external accounts. Historical accounts report that Jesus died. I'll give you a few of them here. One from Tacitus, the Roman historian. He said, Jesus suffered the extreme penalty, referring to crucifixion, during the reign of Tiberius. This is a secular historian calls it out. Josephus, a Jewish historian, said Pilate condemned him to be crucified. And even the Jewish Talmud, which is... A, a, a series of documents of Jewish history, and it says that Jesus was hanged, speaking of on the cross, on Passover Eve. So the external historical reports show us that, yep, Jesus died. In addition, people today who have spent their life and examined history, scholars who are skeptical, who are not Christians, look back and say, yep, Jesus died. It's generally agreed upon. Here's a couple examples. Mr. Crossan, a historian, says that he was crucified as sure as anything historical can ever be. This guy is not a believer. This guy isn't either. James Tabor, he says, I think we have no doubt that given Jesus' execution by Roman crucifixion, he was truly dead. So in addition to the Gospels and the external accounts and the skeptical scholars who look back with all the technology and all the information we have now, we can be sure that the Romans were experts at execution. And that would be a, a major miscarriage of their capabilities, of their responsibilities if Jesus didn't die. Those Romans, they knew how to kill people. They would be sure that Jesus was dead. So we can conclude that Jesus did die at the hands of the Romans. He didn't faint. He didn't swoon. It wasn't just a legend. He was dead. Second thing I think that makes it reasonable for us to believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead is that the first disciples clearly believed that Jesus rose from the dead. <coughs> Did they really believe it? Well, there's proof. The first proof is this guy, Paul, who we talked about. Paul testifies about the disciples' faith. See, Paul didn't see him. Paul wasn't there. He didn't see the crucifixion, as far as we know. But he heard the disciples, and he said, the disciples, they preached this. They saw it. He points it out. It wasn't just the disciples saying this happened. Paul was saying he heard them say it. It's corroborating witnesses would be very useful in a trial. In addition to Paul, there were early church writings that, from that first century that say, yeah, this happened. We confirm that this happened. We see it in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul gives a creed. He says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. It's a summation of belief. It's dated from within five years of the death and resurrection of Jesus. In addition, the apostles gave sermons. We see one from Peter recorded in Acts chapter 2, another recorded in Acts chapter 13 by Paul. These are reliably, reliably attributed to those disciples. 
and they corroborate the resurrection stories found in the Gospels. In addition, the early church had these writings, the four Gospels, each of which was written within 70 years of the resurrection. And furthermore, church fathers, they either knew the apostles or they were friends with them, and several of their sources within the first 100 years mentioned the resurrection. There was not enough time for legend to develop about the story. But furthermore, we see that the disciples' lives were transformed. I think this is a powerful piece of evidence. Because we see in Acts, the book of Acts, that the disciples, the early disciples, suffered greatly for believing this. They were convicted because they saw it that Jesus rose from the dead and many were killed. (coughs) Many were tortured. They suffered loss of family and friends. There are additional early writings. At least 11 sources document that all of, almost all of the disciples suffered execution because they believed in the resurrection of Jesus. You might go, so what? People die for all kinds of belief. But I think it shows that these guys believed what they saw because liars make poor martyrs. And they all went to martyrdom because of this belief. So I think we can conclude that the disciples were absolutely convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. And if it wasn't enough for them, Paul, Paul himself was converted. You go, so what if a religious guy was convinced of the resurrection? What about him? Well, Paul was not an ordinary guy. He started off persecuting Christians who believed in the resurrection of Jesus. The delta for Paul was pretty enormous to go to conversion. And he was converted because he personally encountered a resurrected Jesus. We know the story of Paul meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. Furthermore, Paul also went on and he suffered and died because of his faith in the resurrection of Jesus. We see his suffering there in the book of Acts. Five other ancient sources confirm that and that he was executed because he believed this. Again, liars don't make good martyrs. Paul was not a friend of Jesus who hoped for this to be true. Paul started off by believing that Jesus was a false Messiah. He had nothing to gain except suffering and death for having his conversion. So we can be sure that Paul converted because he was convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. Finally, the last piece of evidence there is that the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. Historically, we could see that. And you say, how does an empty tomb prove that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, first off, we could say it took place in Jerusalem. The same place he was executed, the same place he was buried, is the same place that he appeared to others after he rose from the dead. And this is important because if the body was still in the tomb, the local authorities would have opened it up and said, nope, he's still here. But they didn't say that. They claimed, hey, the body was stolen. The body was stolen. And that's their testimony. The testimony of those who actually executed Jesus said the tomb was empty. We see that in Matthew 28. We see that also in the external histories of Tertullian and Justin Martyr. By saying, hey, the body was stolen. That's an implicit admission that the tomb was empty. And just so you know, they stole it is not a good explanation 
It's not a good explanation. See, there was a giant stone. We're told the giant stone was rolled in front of the tomb. So good luck getting that thing moved. And then in addition, they said, we're going to set these Romans, remember the ones who are really good at execution and death and war, and they've conquered basically the known world. We'll put a legion of those guys in front of it. And then, just to make it worse, they went and they put a seal around this. And on the seal, it said, if you break this, it's punishable by crucifixion. So, within three days, you're going to have a bunch of disciples who say, we're going to come up with sort of an Ocean's Eleven scheme that we can get all of the stuff to move away so we can steal a body. It's not going to happen. The tomb was empty, and it was empty. Why? Because he is risen. That's right. We can conclude that Jesus' tomb was indeed empty. So, what is the ultimate conclusion? I think it comes back to Jesus' words. That we mentioned at the beginning. We can look at all of the evidence. We can see all of the faith and the history and what the Bible says, but at the end of the day, we have to answer this question, each of us individually and personally, when Jesus says to you, Who do you say I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? And that's the essence of belief. Jesus told us in John chapter 3, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, talking of himself, that whoever does what? Believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that's the choice set before you. That is the choice set before you. Jesus says to you today, Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Do you believe? What does it mean to believe? Well, I'm going to give you a very simple summary of what it means to believe. The first thing to believe is that I'm not God. (laughs) And you're not God. And my sin separates me from God. And your sin separates you from God. It's broken our relationship and there is that chasm between us and God. Because of that, the punishment for that is eternal separation from God. We'll die and be separated from him. But Jesus came back. Jesus came to the earth and he died and he rose again. And it was because of his resurrection, as we sang this morning, that he defeated death. He defeated death, and he offers that way for me to be right with God. The way for me to be right with God, the way for you to be right with God. Jesus bridges us together if we believe. Jesus can't make you go across that. You have to decide. You have to choose. You have to come to a moment, to a place of belief and say, Ah, like Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are my salvation, the way I can be right with God. And so to believe really means, hey, I realize that I have broken God's laws. God set up the moral laws of right and wrong in the universe, and I have broken them. Right now, you can probably think of several ways this past week, maybe even this weekend, that you've broken God's laws. I know I can. And you have to realize that you can't repair the damage that has been done. You have broken your relationship with God, and you are separated with Him, and that only Jesus Christ, only the resurrected Jesus, can restore you to God. The 
second aspect of believing is to receive it. To not just say, oh yeah, that's great, that's cool, who's Jesus? Oh yeah, he's that guy. Say, no, I'm going to place my faith, I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust in Jesus alone. How am I going to be right with God? How am I going to spend eternity with him after I die on this earth? It's by placing my faith and my trust and calling him my Lord and accepting the free gift of salvation. That's what happens if we believe. And I want to challenge you this morning, wherever you're at. Some of you probably are like, yeah, 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 I've heard this before. I believe this. I've received this. And some of you maybe are going, I've never heard that before. I've never heard it that way. I want to receive it. We're going to have an opportunity here as I pray for you to do that. But I came across this quote that would just, it challenged me, and I hope it would challenge you. Richard Wormbrand, he was uh, captured and put in prison in Romania in the late 40s by the communists and tortured for his belief in Christ. And he said there are two kinds of Christians, those who sincerely believe in God and those who just as sincerely believe that they believe. And you can tell them apart by their actions in decisive moments. And so that's my challenge to each of you today. Do you believe? Do you sincerely believe? Or do you just believe that you believe? So right now we're going to take a moment to to pray. And so as you uh, close your eyes and, and bow your head, I'd like you to think about that. Which kind of person are you? What is your answer to Jesus? Who do you say that he is? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you sent Jesus to earth to live the sinless life in our place. God, we thank you that he took on that punishment that was due for us. But God, we especially thank you that he rose from the dead. Lord, and we recognize that by rising from the dead, he created a way for us to be right with you, for us to cross the chasm that is created by our own sins. And Lord, maybe there's some who are here this morning who have never placed their faith, who have never received the free gift. You offer a free gift to us, God. A free gift of salvation. Lord, if someone was here this morning, they could just pray something just simple like, God, I recognize that I am a sinner. I recognize that I have broken your commands and my relationship with you is broken. And the only way for it to be right The only way for the penalty that's due to me for my sin, the only way for that to be paid, is if I place my faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I believe that he lived a sinless life. Lord, I believe that he died on the cross and that you brought him back to life and I receive that free gift of salvation. I invite you, God, to become Lord of my life, to live in me. God, we thank you that you've made it this simple. It is that simple to be right with you. It's so simple that even a child could do it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to rise from the dead to offer us eternal life. Thank you for changing our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.